Hey everybody, welcome back to the Extra Podcast. My name is Paul Siemens and we're here at episode number 237. And it is Tuesday of Prayer Week here at Northview. And here we also have Ezra. Hey, it's Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Jeff. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Good. New Year treating you well? Uh, it's treating me somehow. You bet. Good. We have our um, our quiet and uh, esteemed colleague, Andrew Golovich, playing the, uh, a producer today. So mm, Yes. Okay, you don't need to talk. You don't have a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> we took the microphone away from you, Andrew, so that uh, so that you wouldn't contribute anymore. So that he'd be quiet. <laughs> You're so mean. No, he knows. I love him. Except when he cheers for the Blue Jays. I'm not actually against the Blue Jays totally. No? I just became against the Blue Jays when they threw things at children in their own stands. Oh, <laughs> and cheated, cheated when it came to the uh, to the the Texas Rangers and whined like crazy because one of the Texas base runners actually decided that he would pay attention to the game. <laughs> but then they started complaining about it, and I didn't understand that. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That and was... there's a lot of chirping going on about the Blue Jays and how great they were. Mm-hmm. Do you know that I was watching Sportsnet, and they said that the best play of the year was uh, what's-his-name's home run where he did the big bat flip. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's Joey, it's, Joey it's... Bats. That's why it's the uh, and I thought you re- really out of all the things that happened in the year that was the that was the biggest one. Yeah, no, no, Dude, that, but he was awesome not. though. He was awesome. Oh, listen, <laughs> I remember the I re- Patriots interception. It of Wilson been, was uh, the play of the year. There is no question that it's the interception, Malcolm Butler intercepting. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name on the. Yeah, on the goal yeah. line. As much as we hate no to question. say it and remember it. Oh, no. In retrospect, it, it was the biggest, yeah. most significant play. Death. Yeah, the last year. Yeah. Right, Ezra? Oh, that 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 hurt. Yeah, it did that hurt, but hurt. it, it oh. was easily the biggest play of last yeah, year. Yeah, nothing was, the Canucks play, do comes into the running. No. I do think right that now. people in Toronto, though, I get, at least the feeling I've gotten... And that, no offense, oh, uh, you rolled your eyes because now I'm going to get email about this. <laughs> like I've been to Toronto once, so I have no. Hey, Toronto, no the fear. Of the universe. No, Come but on. I do get the feeling that the way that it's understood is that Toronto is the center of everything. Yeah, totally. In Canada, and that if it happens to the Blue Jays, obviously the entire country cares about it. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. And if it happens to any any if it happens in Toronto, it happens everywhere. And I'm yeah. like, really? I mean, the Blue Jays are Canada's team. Just, no. Just like Toronto Maple. That's Blues. why they have a they have a red leaf on the front of their alternate oh, cap. Yeah. There you go, Canada's team. We're Canada's team. Yeah. I have a. It's similar to me as an American. It's similar to me, uh, in the way that people understand New York and the rest of the country. Kind of looks at New York like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you have the newspaper of record, which is the New York Times, and yes, it's a really cool city, and yeah. there's lots of things going on sure. there. But there are basketball fans who think that what happens to the New York Knicks is so important to the rest of us. It is. Listen, nobody cares about the New York Knicks. No, there are more people cheering for the Spurs than there are the Knicks, and they're in San Antonio, Texas. For goodness' yeah. sake, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thus endeth the rant. <laughs> that was the rant. That was a good one. I enjoyed it. Because I agree wholeheartedly yeah? with the uh, with not appreciating the Knicks, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. Oh, the Knicks. Carmelo oh, yeah. Anthony. Yeah. Good oh. night. <laughs> that's right. We, should, we could go down. We would bore everyone to death, but we, we could, could go down a long history of the New York Knicks that we don't like. <laughs> that's for sure. 
All right, we should get some questions. Uh, we had the first one is coming in about uh, a passage from the Gospels, from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. What is Jesus teaching? Is it about persistent prayer, prosperity, or the receiving of the Holy Spirit? And Ezra, I think you preached on this somewhat recently. So you, you let, me, let me read it, and then you, and then you have a go. Mm-hmm. Go for it. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, good word, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, by the way, impudence means uh, like audacity. He is audacity that he would have the guts to actually come to his door at that hour, right? Mm-hmm. Impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask mm-hmm. Him? Mm-hmm. So the question, I think the questioner was actually asking something related to the Holy Spirit. He seems to identify at the end that this is, this is about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So basically, I preached, this, I preached a sermon in this very text, actually aside from verse 1, all the way to verse 13. So if you're mm-hmm. interested, you can listen to what I preached at Mission Campus this past weekend. That would be January the 3rd. Mm-hmm. The summer January the 3rd that was preached in Mission. Uh, I preached this text. Basically, you'd have to take the, the entire text starting from verse 2 where Jesus is now teaching his disciples uh, this prayer. So he goes through this, what you'd consider the Lord's Prayer, but I'd prefer calling it the Disciples' Prayer because the Lord is teaching us to pray this. And so he'll he'll teach. He, Jesus would say, you know, Father, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come. Give us this daily bread, and so on. So Jesus, he's introducing the themes that that uh, should be a part of the prayer that you come to the Lord with. So when you're praying, these are the themes that you bring before God. And then, so he'll teach you the prayer, and then now he'll go to, what's your disposition? And so Jesus will now uh, teach. Uh, through a parable, what dis- what disposition? What do you mean by disposition? Basically, I'd say, um, what ought to be your your um, the posture of your heart as you approach? So as you pray, as you so it, it's it's more like um, what how how should you approach prayer? What drives you? Let me explain. Let me unpack what I mean. So Jesus gives this parable, and he's talking about um, a friend of a friend of yours comes from a long distance, and he's coming to visit you at midnight. Now he's speaking to a first century uh, gathering, people in the first century. You didn't have guests coming to visit each other at midnight. Why? Houses were small. People would sleep on the floor on mats, things like that. So once that door is shut, you told a story is... once about this. Exactly, and I told a story about uh, living in Africa, where a lot of my friends, even myself, grew up in a very small house, where at seven thirty, eight o'clock, you had no guests. Dinner was done. Dishes are washed. Um, furniture is moved around and mats are on the floor, you're sleeping. So even by the door area, people are sleeping. So having a guest come and someone knock on the door, that means the whole household wakes up. 
you never did this. But Jesus is saying, okay, now imagine a friend of yours has come from a long distance, hungry, you want to feed this person, but you don't have anything, and you go to your neighbor. Now, your neighbor, let's say the neighbor is Jeff. Hmm. Now, Jeff and I are very good friends. We've traveled together, we've spent time together, eaten together, and all those things. Jeff loves me, I love him. But I would never dare go and visit Jeff at night. Why? Because maybe he sleeps in a small house and all that, and his kids are asleep. At midnight, Jeff is not my friend at midnight. Why? <laughs> I'm <True>. bothering him. <laughs> yeah? So, but if I knocked... Well, not just bothering him. Yeah, you're... You're waking the entire house. And impudence is the right word. Yes. It's kind of an outrageous bothering. Because you know that everybody's asleep, not just in the house in their own rooms, but in the room where the door needs to be opened. They're going to have to move all of their stuff Mm -hmm. in order to open the door. Exactly. So you will be waking the entire house. So Jesus is saying, Jeff will only open the door to Ezra, not because Ezra is his friend, but because Ezra had the audacity to come and knock at that hour. It must be something big. It is a big deal yeah. because Ezra should know better. And so it's this. this so maybe point. it's the way that we understood maybe a phone call. Yes. More in our culture where, you know, if the phone rings at midnight, mm-hmm. and nobody calls you at midnight. No one at calls you at but, but immediately you start thinking to yourself in your mind, Oh my goodness! This yes. could be a family member who is in deep trouble, and this so an emergency. yeah, and you immediately answer because yes. of that, not because they're because it's ringing, but because of yeah the need. What it could be, yeah, yeah. it could be a very big emergency. Ezra needs me at this hour. Why right. would he call me at this right. hour? So this is the same thing. Now Jesus here is teaching his disciples. Look, you need to be you need to have such kind of audacity coming before God with the needs that you have in prayer. So you come to him, regardless of what that need is. Because in many ways, we, we think, again, remember, he's speaking to first century people. And there were lots of other uh, religious movements around where you had a God for this and a God for that, and you'd only bother God for big things. And it's little things you don't really. The same thing we do today, where if you have a need, how many times do people go to God for small things? Eh, he doesn't really care about that. But if it is cancer, if it is, uh, I'm going to be evicted, whatever, then we go to God. And Jesus is saying, ah, you come before your heavenly father. And it's what, what, what is interesting, what is interesting is at the very beginning of the prayer in verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Hmm. And that word is... Jews were never taught to pray calling God Father. This is a very intimate term. So this is like daddy to us. Jews never called God daddy in their prayer. And so Jesus is now teaching, or should I say changing, the disciples' view of who God is. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. Therefore, he is your dad Now have the audacity to come and bring whatever need you have before him. But the story goes on uh, later on in the passage where Jesus is saying, okay, so uh, what father among you, this is verse 11, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now a serpent and a scorpion in first century were symbols of evil. So Jesus is saying, none of you, as a dad would give your child anything evil when your child comes to ask for something good. You wouldn't give something evil. But Jesus goes on to say, if you then, verse 13, who are evil know how to give good gifts. Now mark that, good <coughs> gift. So if you know how to give a good gift to your kid, 
how much more will your heavenly father give? And now this is Jesus' good gift now. Talking about a heavenly father, when our heavenly father is thinking about a good gift that will give someone, hmm. what is he thinking? He's not thinking good gift prosperity. He's not thinking good gift good health. He's not thinking, what, what is a good gift from God's perspective? God himself. Exactly. Exactly. So if you who are evil know how to give, give good gifts, that would be food, shelter, clothing to your kids, how much more will God give you himself? Yeah, this argument here is is a, a traditionally called from the lesser to the greater. So exactly. we argue that clearly God, so clearly God would give you the small things. How will he not give you even more? Mm-hmm. The greatest. R- right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but in a in an argument from the smaller to the greater, is it's an inclusive one. It's both saying that yes, the Lord would give you good gifts, the smaller ones, but also the greatest one, the Holy Spirit. This is, this is. I mean, you we can debate this if you want, mm-hmm. but that's the way the argument functions. Mm-hmm. So, it. I don't think that the passage itself is limiting the gift to the Holy Spirit. It's saying the Holy Spirit is the best gift yes. that God could give. I would agree. But I would not say that the t- passage is saying, well, it's, it's this passage only... is only talking about the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. no. This no. is the reason that Jesus is saying you should pray and you should yes. come with the, these audacious desires. Yes. yes. I do think, though, that the most audacious desire you ought to have is to ask for God himself. Exactly. Right. Because, and what's yeah. interesting, what is interesting, though, is this. Now, think of the disciples who are hearing Jesus at this point. What spurred or or um, influenced prophets in the Old Testament? Prophets were men of God because the Spirit of God was upon them. Mm. And so uh, the, the entire nation listened to the prophet. Why? Because the prophet had a special relationship with God. And so Jesus saying that, hey, to the one who asks, God will give you himself. He'll give you his spirit. Man, that means I will have a relationship with God the same way. Isaiah, the prophet, would right. the same way. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal. Yeah. This is huge for the disciples as they are hearing Jesus teaching this. So Matthew does not include the language about the Spirit. No, he doesn't. Why not? Because Matthew was speaking, Jesus in Matthew was preaching, um, was preaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So yeah. he was talking to a huge crowd of people, and part of his sermon included when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Just the same way when you right. when you give, don't give so that people can see. So right. the issue of hypocrisy, no, 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 no. So Jesus is addressing the issue of hypocrisy, and he talks about prayer, and he outlines this. So this is an important point that should be made, is that you'll find a passage like this that has a minor change. So Luke changes mm-hmm. the end here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he does. Um he also does uh, earlier. Um, Matthew in the sermon on Sermon on the Mount will say, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." But Luke, mm. when he includes that passage, will say, "Blessed are the poor." Mm. Um, and so, does that mean that there's a does that mean that there's a discrepancy or a contradiction there? No. It, what it means is that that Luke is has certain theological emphases that he's trying to bring out in mm-hmm. his in his gospel, in the same way that Matthew is. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew quotes Jesus in a particular way. It's not it's mm-hmm. not untrue about the way that Jesus was quoted, but uh, so it, mm-hmm. there are commentators. I was just reading one a second ago who would, who would say that Matthew is probably the original mm-hmm. in the sense that what Jesus probably said here is that God gives good gifts, but Luke is adding this piece about the Spirit because mm-hmm. it's, if you read Luke's Gospel, Luke and Acts, the Holy Spirit is the center character, and he's trying to make the point that. 
this is the gift you should have want more than anything else, and you will receive in the end. They will mm-hmm. receive the Spirit in, yes. in a special way. So my point is that uh, you need to look at the context of the particular passage and the yes. understanding of what that author is trying to do with that story, you, right? And trying to communicate and to trying his to communicate. audience. So Luke, Luke needs to be understood on Luke's terms, and yes. Matthew on Matthew's terms. Mm-hmm. They're not contradicting one another. They're no. drawing out emphases that are different. Yes, right? and, and some of the study I did in this text, these are two different events where Jesus, one, is preaching at someone on the Mount here. He's now having a private conversation with his disciples who approach him and say, hey, John taught his disciples how to pray. Uh, teach us right. how to pray. Then Jesus is like, okay, here we go. So they are, so two different two different um, settings but still the same teacher Jesus teaching and now obviously Luke uh, yep. as you said Luke was now uh, the author recording this he's giving us now what what does he want his mm. audience to get what does he want Theophilus to get here right. again the spirit of God and how he moves and yep. works yep. Um, in the life of we do this too, by the way. Like mm-hmm. there's events that take place, and the three of us are sitting here, and the three of us could retell the event in different ways. We do this in preaching all the time. Mm-hmm. We have, might have a story, and we might use it for illustrative purposes in one sermon to illustrate one fact, but we might use the same story in another sermon to illustrate a different part of the story. It's like story illustrates exactly. something else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's common. Mm-hmm. The way that we use our st- we do this in regular conversation all the time. Right. You might tell the same story, but have different emphases. Right. Yeah. You yes. might leave out portions of that story because that that in that context that you're talking, it doesn't serve yeah. the purposes that you that you have. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this passage clear is about both receiving the Holy Spirit and persistent prayer. Then. So so is it about prosperity? Because that's one of the questions. That's one of the yeah. things mm-hmm. questioners and asking. Again, I mean, yeah. When I say prosperity, I'm, I'm I'm referring now to the prosperity teachers, the people who would quote this and say, "See, see, God is going to give you everything you want and more." Yes, but but again, when when Jesus is saying here, "Ask and it'll be given to you; seek and you shall find; knock and it'll be open." Now, the question you'd have to ask yourself is, "What are you asking for then? Yeah. And what are you seeking for then?" Again, yeah. you'd have to go up to verse two. Mm-hmm. Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, say. Now, let me show you the prayers that you need to pray. Mm-hmm. And then now let me show you how yeah. you are to pray Those the pray- prayers. that prayer. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just about you, hey, Lord, I want a car, I want a car, or I want to win a million dollars, or I want to mm-hmm. win the lottery, or whatever. No, 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 that's not what Jesus is saying here. If... And again, prosperity teachers who pull a verse or two from here and tell you, oh, pray anything, God will answer anything, actually you need to read the passage in context. Agreed. I would also say that the fact that the, I mean, the fact that the Holy Spirit's name shows, he, his name shows up at the end of this kind of throws us off when it comes to prayer, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we ask questions. What? I mean, they could give the Spirit to us. And, and that actually, to me, shows how our priorities are skewed. Yes. That for Luke, it's like, yeah, well, obviously, this is the greatest gift you could possibly right. have is the yeah. Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you and I are like, well, actually, you know, the house on the beach would probably be the greatest gift. And we're talking mm-hmm. about good gifts here. Here's the good gift. 
which should call into question some of the prosperity teachers oh, yes. and the way that they approach stuff like this. I've heard mm-hmm. this passage brought up by them. They'll say, well, yeah, God will give you, you know, the house on the beach and the car and a freedom from debt and blah, 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 and all the things that that they say you just ask him for anything. And I, by the way, I think it's go for it, ask him for anything, but you have to understand that the priorities that God has for you and the priorities you have for you are probably quite different. Oh, yeah. absolutely. God's there. interested in your eternal well-being yes. and that kind of good gift. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're interested in your temporary comfort, which, by the way, if you read the Bible, when it comes to money, has a great potential to draw your heart away from Him. So yes. I don't know if it's a bad thing for God not to give you and me all of the goods that we want, I, all I, the wins that or, we want. Or right. could, it, could it be? Stuff. <laughs> could it be? Could it be that God not answering? Our, our prayers for ridiculous amount of money is, in fact, a good gift. Yes, that's right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he gives you poverty. <laughs> yeah. No, or he gives you austerity, perhaps, is the right way to say yes. it. He, he, he gives you... Because yeah. because if he were to give me everything yeah, I asked you start for him, trusting in those things instead exactly. of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in many ways, mm-hmm. what kind of God would he be if he gave me an idol? Right. Right. And isn't that not kind of what we do in the West? Like being the most affluent society that ever has existed, do we not tend to trust in the things that we have other than Him? Absolutely. Many times. Yeah. yeah. Many times. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that was a good question. Yeah. All right. So on to the next one. We have one uh, regarding inclusivism. And the question is uh, Are people judged based on the amount of light that they received? Is the gospel message a necessary condition to being saved? And Jeff, can you tell us what the questioner is wondering about inclusivism? Yeah, so let me give a couple, a few categories here. Um, the questioner is interact. We should mention that this this question is interacting with some of the teaching of of William Lane Craig. We we uh, are not. I'm not super well acquainted with William Lane Craig's take on this, although mm-hmm. I, I think I know a little bit about it. I want to say super well. I've read a bit about his view, so I don't want to in any way make it sound like I'm aligning his view, or because I don't totally understand. So if we can separate it from him, mm-hmm. and we can suggest instead uh, what I think is going to be helpful for people listening, which is okay. What what do we say about those who have never believed? Mm-hmm. Or who, uh, or ne- sorry, who, those who have never heard. Is it possible for somebody who has never heard the name of Jesus, or somebody who doesn't have conscious belief in Jesus, to be saved? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer to that question is uh, there. There are three big options that people have historically gone to who have called themselves Christians. Okay, so there are people who might put Christian by their name. One of the options is what's called pluralism, which is yeah, of course, everybody's saved. It's pluralism is perhaps another name for universalism. Mm-hmm. It's the belief that God shows up, but it's the specific belief that God shows up in every religious tradition in a salvific way. Understand that last part, though, because there are lots and lots of people who would say, no, there, are, there is some common grace in every religious tradition. There is. There are some good things that are taught that are in line with what God sure. believes and would want. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense in which his general revelation is seen throughout some of the religious traditions it's just that th- that these people who are pluralist would say yes, and their response, the response to that, uh, is salvific. And everybody has a tradition, and so pluralism says that everyone's essentially saved. Even if you're an atheist, you're saved as long as you're a good atheist. Mm-hmm. 
it gets a little dicey in those situations because you know the question uh, the name Hitler always comes up in discussions with course, pluralists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might have a special. I, I don't want to be unkind to pluralists because they sometimes have a special, you know, category of people, you know, uh, that include Hitler, Pol Pot, and usually George W. Bush. <laughs> Sorry, but you know what I mean. With right. Trump, Trump, Donald Trump now, right or whatever. Right, sure. The, the people I don't really like are not going to make it, but there are there are good there are good people all around the place, and everyone's basically going to be saved in a pluralism. So that's one option. The, the, set, the other option on the other side has been the historic Christian uh, take on this, which has been, uh, actually, mm-hmm. you need to have conscious faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And so that's built upon passages of Scripture that um, Romans 10, 14, uh, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to, to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Sounds like the question we're asking, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Mm. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul seems to be quite explicit here mm-hmm. when, it, when he's saying that. That, look, the reason that you, you go or that you're sent is because they, they can't be saved unless they hear. That's mm-hmm. why you, you preach. Right? Right. right. And because the problem is that they'd never heard, because right. faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So this explains, that, that short text explains the entirety of the gospel, or the entirety of the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So why is it that Paul goes into these different regions and he tries to preach the gospel to these, other, these, these people? Why is he adamant, for example, to go into a place like Lystra, and who are responding, this is Acts 14, who are responding in some ways r- rightly to the light that they have. They, you mm-hmm. know, you have, you have a bunch of people who have received some sort of understanding of some, some religion, right? They, yes. they trot out the, the sacrifices to Zeus and Hermes, who they think are Paul and mm-hmm. Barnabas. Mm-hmm. And they're faithful. And they're faithful in this. In fact, they're really persistent in it. They're Absolutely. not going to be duped by these mm-hmm. people who say they're not Zeus and Hermes, because, mm-hmm. you know... So they trot out all this stuff, but but you read Paul's Paul's language there. He actually says, "Turn from these vain things to the living God." Think about that language, both vain and living. These vain things, meaning that they are of no effect; they're useless, lifeless. Okay, to the living God, which is the language that's used throughout the Bible to talk in the context of idolatry. That that your your idols are dead. Your God is dead. He cannot deliver you. His right hand is incapable of saving you. Mm-hmm. So you need to turn to the living God, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So this is the driving force by Paul. He wants to go into every place. He actually has a vision at the end of his days to go to Spain. It's because no one's heard there. Just think about that mm-hmm. for a minute, right? Yes. So this has been the traditional view of the Christian church. You can tell by the way I'm explaining it. It certainly is the view that I hold. Mm-hmm. There has been in recent years, though, uh, a viewpoint that, you know, different names of people have been attached to it. I could give you several. Clark Pinnock, uh, uh, that might be a name many people, many people know. Stan Grenz uh, was at Regent for a while. He held this viewpoint. Um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis supposedly held this viewpoint. And the view, the view is, and, and the, the questioner has suggested that mm-hmm. um, William Lane Craig holds a view as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true. But... 
the view is called inclusivism, and what it what it says is, look, God, God in the Old Testament saved people how? Well, by people, not by conscious belief in Jesus or the Messiah, although at some points that was the case, but in faithful response to the light that they'd been given. So how was Abram saved? Well, by a faithful response to the call of God, specific call of God, to tell him to go up from Ur and go to this place. How was how was uh, all the other Old Testament characters saved? Well, they were saved by a faithful response to the light that they've been given. So if that's the case, then what about the person who lives in the jungles of South America, who's never heard the name of Christ? Maybe they're saved by the same method, right? Even though they live at a different time after Christ has come, they are, are functionally in the same situation as the person who is who has been, uh, they're functionally in the same situation as, as the Old Testament character, and so they need to respond to the light they've been given. So what is that? Well, I suppose it's a faithful response to the tree or the whatever, or whatever. Or, and they construct a religion that isn't, it might not be fully truthful, but God will judge them based upon that light, and therefore they will be they will be saved even though they don't know the name there is a there is a right an inclusivist would say there is a right response that some people give to the revelation of god in their lives in places like the islands of you know the far out islands of fiji never heard the name of jesus there is a right response that those people have to god and he will save them by the blood of christ it's not apart from christ it's by the blood of christ but they don't have conscious knowledge of christ Do you understand? Mm-hmm. I understand. Many questions, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the question then becomes: Well, and I hope I I hope I actually reiterated the or iterated the the viewpoint of inclusivism faithfully enough so that there are those who are listening to me going, "Well, that's kind of compelling." Because there's a reason that people believe inclusivism because it is kind of compelling. There's a it does what it does is it releases you from the sense that. The, the horrible sense that there are people in the world who have not heard the name of Jesus who will be eternally condemned for that mm. um, or or for their sins when, in our view, they didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. A problem is Romans 1. Exactly. So why is it the problem, <laughs> Paul? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if if we read, I mean, Romans 1... Uh, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So this is an interesting phrase that Paul... See, Paul addresses these very people, the very question that we're asking, what about those that have never heard? And his response is, they've ne- they're without excuse, because there is no one who's never heard. What do you mean, never heard? Certainly there's everybody who hasn't known the name of Jesus. Yeah, but everybody's seen the creation, and that, yes, you're right, they should respond. They should respond with true faith in God. They should. The problem is they don't. Mm-hmm. So you could my point is you could set up inclusivism as a as a real possibility even in the world today say yeah oh yeah but the, the if someone if someone responds rightly to the revelation that they have they will be saved based upon that response okay where are they yeah 
And you say, well, well, you don't know about them. They're out there somewhere. I'm saying that the, the scriptures tell us that there is no one who does that. Right. They, they don't. In fact, you want to read Romans 1 to 3, that's his point. Yeah. That everyone, even people who've got the, the, the fuller revelation of God in the law, respond wrongly. <laughs> right. Right? And so what you've got is a bunch of truth suppressors who are self-focused, who have been... God has revealed to them in his creation. They should respond rightly, but they, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Here's my here's my caveat. I believe that if God if they did respond rightly because of God's saving act in their if, if, if because of God's grace in their lives that the Lord will bring them a missionary. Mm. So that's my that's my view. Uh-huh. That because I believe that, that sure. if and they respond rightly because the spirit is moving in their life yeah. that that this that they will hear the name and of Christ. And you can hear you can hear I think it was Billy Graham that shared once he he did a big rally in uh, I think it was India. And afterwards, he met with somebody that came from the crowd, and they said to him, uh, they were like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm hearing what you're, you're saying, and it's like, yes, finally, I have a name for, for the person that uh, has been revealed to me. Like, right. it's, it's like God had elected them to know. Hmm. They just didn't know his name yet. And now they, now they hear the word, and they respond in faith to Christ, right. and they move forward in their faith and, and so this believe. So is, this, is myri- this is the way I would understand the myriad of, discre- of descriptions, at true descriptions of Isa visiting, visiting mm, uh, yeah. Muslim sure, people yes. in yes. their dreams. Yeah. What I'm saying is that those people are not saved by the visitation of Isa and their response to that visitation so much as they're, they're, that's part of the journey, but they are saved because they've responded to the gospel message. Because mm-hmm. they heard and they responded. Faith comes yes. by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, so again, and the only... The, there are some who would say, well, but there must be people out there who don't, who've heard, who've had a vision of Isa and must be saved without getting a gospel message. Yeah, I, where? Like, the Bible doesn't doesn't give teach you, us that that's the case. It doesn't give you that category. And the people that we do know of, and the reason that we do know that there are that that people are being visited in dreams by Jesus, is because those people are subsequently come to faith in Christ, similarly to what you just described, yeah. Paul. Yes. So I'm not in any way dismissing that God is acting around the world in amazing ways. Yes. Right. Yes. Apart from a preacher. Of the gospel, what I am saying is that the Spirit saves people through the gospel. That's what He does. Yes, and there are there aren't and there is nobody who's going to be saved apart from the gospel. Right. Yes. Faith now, comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Th- there yeah. will be those. There will be those who will hear us talking about this, and they'll think, "Okay, so let's say you're in this little island in the Amazon, unreached people group, right? And let's say, yes, you might have had a vision of Jesus, yeah. but there was no missionary who got there at that point, and then there's this old person who was wondering, "Who's this person? I don't have a name for him yet." But then the person dies. Uh, before Paul, the missionary, shows up to proclaim. Mm-hmm. So is it is it not is is isn't that not um, no? They'll say that's not just. It's not just because how could God punish this person? Yet God never made it possible for this person to hear this gospel okay. articulated. Okay, but but you're assuming a lot. There's a there's a large assumption in in the in the whole setup there in that hypothetical. You're assuming that this person responded rightly to the gospel or rightly to the light they had. 
I have the scriptures that teach me that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Good point. You, you're you're assuming, um, yeah. I mean, the, there are, there are other little pieces of of assumption, like you use the language. Well, this person's never heard. Well, that, according to Romans one, they have heard, and that, but they but they have an excuse. Then is the basically what you're saying. Yeah, they have an excuse. But I'm that saying it. Romans 1 says that they don't have an excuse because they haven't responded rightly to the light that they have been given in the general revelation, meaning the creation. And and and, and so you might you're creating a hypothetical yes. that runs directly contrary to what the apostle Paul says is true about mm-hmm. people who are mm-hmm. in this category and I'm not going to listen to you as much as I'm going to listen to Paul about it. Mm-hmm. So and ultimately then you say well they're not they're not they're not guilty. Yeah, okay, that's again running against the grain of what the scriptures teach regarding people who are born in sin, our willful rebellion against God, our suppression of the truth when it's presented to us. So it's more rightly this, right to say that you are a rebel against God, and that apart from the grace of God acting mm-hmm. on your behalf, you are doomed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and if this, that frightens you, listen, here's the, mm-hmm. the press at the end of this is that there are 200 million people in northern India who don't know the name of Christ today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm mean, just thinking about that, 200 million people. And I, I think the scriptures aren't going to let us off the hook by saying, oh, don't worry about it, right? Because a lot right. of them in their Hinduism are responding rightly. No. Yeah. Well, look, if that's the case and we stand before God one day and he informs us that that's the case, then okay. But I'll tell you that he hasn't done that in his revelation in Scripture. He hasn't right. said that. Mm-hmm. So what has he said instead? Go, therefore. Go, therefore, to all, all, <laughs> to the all nations. Yeah. And make disciples mm-hmm. of all nations. Mm-hmm. So. There, there, there remains, and and that should that should drive the way we spend our money. It should drive the way we think about our church. We should drive the way we think about you know our, our priorities in terms of missions and the unreached. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason we want to get out of, I guess, my point is the reason we want to relieve, we want to relieve the tension, we want to relieve the responsibility, because we think surely this can't be the surely this can't be the case. Surely God will have found will will not be using us to do this work because we're so bad at it. So let me ask you this question then. Uh, again, just to carry on this conversation uh, shortly here, I know we are running, running out of time, out of time here, time, but, yeah. but uh, would you say then that they they received uh, God's revelation, but their response to it was idolatrous? That's yeah. Paul. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we would have to... Th- there's a difference between general and special revelation. Yes, General revelation is what's given to everyone. Special is what's given to an individual in very broad terms. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm going to say that special the the, the special revelation that's given to people now is is the gospel. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. But the general revelation is given to everybody. Uh, general revelation is sufficient for condemnation because people respond to it improperly because that's what the Bible says. Yes, but it is not sufficient for salvation. Mm-hmm. I think that's I'm think I'm trying to summarize what I think that the apostle Paul's teaching mm-hmm. in the book of Romans. So even even though even though people have a revelation of who God is, yep. that information is not sufficient to save them. It's sufficient to to condemn them. Condemn them. Because and the reason it's sufficient to condemn them is because they'd respond wrongly to it. Exactly. If they did respond rightly to it, I believe that the Lord will get give them the special special revelation. Mhm. Right, and isn't even that even isn't that even the message about the law? 
Like it's another, it's another thing that just, um, it, it shows our, when the law was given to the Israelites, they couldn't respond rightly to it. Mm-mm. And they didn't. And they repeated that over and over and over. And that's why we need the gospel. Right. And those who are Gentiles, right, like us, mm-hmm. who don't have a law, mm-hmm. we have a law in our hearts. It's mm-hmm. our own law. It's the law that we say when we're driving our cars and someone cuts us off. It's the law that we have for how you should raise your kids. It's a law that we have for a myriad of things. Those are the laws. And God's like, yeah, I'll judge you by that. Let's see how well you did. Right. Right? So right. there's the revelation, the law of your conscience. Have you always, without fail, honored your conscience at every turn? Have you always done what you believe to be exactly the right thing? Always. No. And the answer is no. Of course you haven't. So as a result, the idea that there are people who are out, out there in the world who are in a good stead because they're really nice it is just it's just foolish it's yeah. not, it's not mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. so this is not a situation of god being a meanie because he won't save people who are desperately reaching out to him this is this is a case where people spit on him and his ways who reject him and his revelation mm-hmm. but god in his kindness reaching out through the gospel to people all over the world and yes. saving a people for himself mm-hmm. yeah yeah and his people as he tells us in uh, john Six, I believe he will not let them go. Once he has them in their hand, in his hand, he will not let them go. Yeah, I think John ten, but John I'm ten, sorry. twenty-seven. I'm not sure. Okay. Thirty. Yeah, it's in John. Yeah, it's yeah, John, it's John ten. Good. It's John ten, twenty-nine. 30. Anyway, that's all we got for today, folks. So uh, it is prayer week again, and if you haven't been out yet, uh, Monday night was fantastic. Tonight's Tuesday. Uh, please make it sh- make sure you make it out to one of the nights here at Northview from 7 to 8.30. And tonight, Tuesday night, there's also a prayer night in Mission, uh, also starting at 7. So, uh, have it goes a- all the way through Friday night, right? Sorry, what? It goes all the way through Friday night. Yes, so you could come in out. Abbotsford, it's like, all the way to Friday. If you're listening to this on a Thursday or whatever, you got you can come out for two nights. It's actually fun, believe yeah. it or not. I mean, people get freaked out by, oh my goodness, I'm going to pray for an hour, an hour and a half. No, it's, no, it's active. You move around. You you pray yeah. in groups. You do a lot of dancing, right, Paul? A lot yep. of a lot of yep. prayer We've dancing. Got banners fla- flying. No, no, we, you, don't. we don't actually. <laughs> we don't have banners. Have that. But anyway, Although good. I, I would pay good money to see Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to happen. Thank you. If if I come tonight to the prayer thing in mission, uh-huh. and I put some offering in the plate, will you do a dance? Uh. I love surprises. You don't yes. want to, you, you're not I, I, willing to g- give hey, your dance to no, Jesus? No, 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 no. I said, I love, su- I, I would love to surprise you. <laughs> I might. <laughs> well, have I a great week, not. everyone. We'll see you soon.